Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. We're going to begin reading from verse 10, and this is going to be carrying out the theme of our series. And it says, later as Jesus and his disciples were eating dinner at Matthew's house, there were many notorious swindlers there as guests. The Pharisees were indignant. Why does your teacher associate with men like that? Because people who are well don't need a doctor. It's the sick people who do, was Jesus' reply. Then he added, now go away and learn the meaning of this verse of this, of, the, of this verse of scripture. It isn't that your sacrifices and your gifts I want. I want you to be merciful. For I have come to urge sinners, not the self-righteous, back to God. I want to read that last, that last sentence right there. I want you to be merciful. Merciful, for I have come to urge sinners, not the self-righteous, back to God. Now, I just want to pause there for a second because this is what Jesus, I don't want you to hear what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that he didn't come only, he didn't, he just came for the sinners. He's not saying that, that he hasn't come for the self-righteous. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world, that includes everybody, but here is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I care about the self-righteous. I care about people who think they got it all together. But I want to let you know what my priorities. My priority is for those that don't, that understand and have recognized that they don't have it all together because the only way they can have it all together is through Jesus. This passage, it says, it's not the well that need a doctor it's the sick people who do and as a case study I want to talk to you about a sinner in fact I want to talk to you about someone who is sick and it's found in Mark chapter 5 and man I've preached on this text so many times but how many of you know that you could preach on the same text and God could speak to you through a story over and over and over again and so this was no different as I read this text it says there was a woman who had suffered this is found in Mark chapter 5, verse 25, there was a woman who had suffered terribly from a severe bleeding for 12 years. And even though she had been treated by many doctors, she had spent all her money, but instead of getting better, she got worse all the time. She had heard about Jesus, so she came in the crowd behind him, saying to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will get well. She touched his cloak, and her bleeding immediately stopped at once. And she had the feeling inside herself that she was healed of her trouble. At once, Jesus knew that power had gone out of him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? It's like when someone steps on your sneakers, like, Yo, yo, what's going on? His disciples answered, you see how the people are crowding you? Why do you ask who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman realized what had happened to her. So she came trembling with fear, knelt at his feet, and told him the whole truth. 
And Jesus said to her, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your trouble. Will you join me in prayer as we pray for today's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence being in this place. God, I thank you that Sundays we don't just come together to sing songs and hear a talk from a pulpit, Lord, but we come on Sundays to fellowship with you first and foremost, to encounter your presence and to be in fellowship with one another. So I pray, Lord, that this word may be much more than a just word being preached, God, that you may do only what you can do, that you may speak through me, that this may be much more than information, but it may be a word of transformation in the lives of many. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone shouts, amen. Come on, give God some praise in this place. Um, how many of you would agree in this house that priorities are important? All the responsible people said amen. All the non-responsible people stood quiet. They're like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Um, you would agree that priorities are absolutely important. Uh, priorities are what you place your value on. As a matter of fact, Pastor Langston, didn't he speak about it uh, two weeks ago when he spoke about the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. And I just think that priorities have some severe consequences when you have misplaced those priorities. Am I speaking the truth? And so uh, uh, there is such a thing as misplaced priorities because what's important to you may not be important to someone else but there are some things that are universally important and and I just think that when you go to a store or you go to Dunkin Donuts you should receive great customer service I'm just saying Starbucks you give them the pass because they're not the best but hey Dunkin Donuts there's nothing that frustrates your pastor like bad customer service. I, I'm telling you, there's something about it. It triggers me in the mind. I don't know what it is, but I've been asking the Lord. I've been going to therapy for it. I don't know if it's the 15 years that I served in customer service and I know what customer service should look like. I don't know if it's been being in telecommunications for so long and knowing how to communicate and the words that should be selected and chosen. And I don't know, but... But there's something about bad customer service that makes me, you know, like one foot in, one foot out. You know what I'm talking about? Every, anybody ever did that? Like you just, oh, you, oh, man. You almost caught the old row for a second. And uh, this actually happened to me yesterday as I was driving. I said, Ro, you got to grow up. Someone flashed me their hazard lights. And your pastor wasn't saved for like two, like two minutes. Anyhow. That's besides the point. <laughs> and so I go into a Dunkin' Donuts and I walk in and, and uh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm excited because it was hot, right? And so I wanted, you know what I wanted? I wanted an uh, iced latte with almond milk and extra caramel. Look at all the vegans. Almond milk, praise the Lord. <laughs> ah, nice almond milk, extra caramel, light and sweet. And I go in there, and I'm getting ready to make my order, and I can't even make my order because the two people behind the register, the ones that are employed by Dunkin' Donuts, 
are speaking to each other in Spanish, and they're, they think, I didn't have my tan at the time, so they thought I was half Jewish, and so they didn't know I spoke Spanish, and they're arguing with each other about whose turn it is to serve the next customer. Can you imagine that? They're arguing with each other in Spanish, and I understand them. I know what Walla Walla is. Listen, I know. And like, no, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. I've been serving all these customers, and I'm looking at them. My God, right now, if you don't come and rescue me right now, I'm about to lay the fivefold ministry on them. Fivefold ministry. You get it? Fivefold. Anyhow. And so I'm saying to myself, I'm saying, and I said, and, and, you know, like, all I can think about is my latte. And all they can think about whose turn it is. And so we all had misplaced priorities because I should have been thinking about ministering to them, but the, the caffeine wasn't in my system yet. And so I'm there and I'm like, you're arguing with her about, and anyhow, you know how Pastor Rowe does, I had to, you know, check them real quick. And so I, I checked them real quick. But here's my point. Like, how about that? that those are some misplaced priorities. When you think that your comfort is more important than, I don't know about you, but I was raised at a time where the customer was the priority. Isn't that right? Like the customer is the priority. And your comfort is not the priority. The customer is the priority. And, and I looked in the internet for some misplaced priorities. And I wanted to give you visual aids because I'm a good pastor and I love you guys. I want to give you visual aids. Like look at this misplaced priority. You guys are like, what's going on? Someone took that picture. Take the picture, then save the child from being eaten. Someone shout misplaced priorities. You guys finally got it. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh someone rescued a child. Hold on, let me take a picture. How about this one? How about this one? Misplaced priorities. Hold on, I got I to gotta put out a fire, but I'm on lunch. Lunch is a priority. Someone shout misplaced priorities. There's something, there's nothing wrong with eating lunch. <laughs> but not when your job is to put out the fire. See, there's nothing wrong with eating lunch, and there's definitely some importance in putting out the fire. But you never put eating lunch over putting out a fire. This is why when me and my wife, Lisa, who I dearly love and God has blessed me with, I, I call her my crown because the Bible says that a wife is the crown of her husband and she is my crown. But uh, when we met um, and when we got together and I realized how she did finances, I said, I don't think you should touch our finances ever in your life. Because she told me one time that she took her rent money and she went on vacation with it. Someone say misplaced priorities. She has come along since way. We told this story to John, and John was like, I don't understand. What's the problem? What's the problem? So, like, that's just normal. There's nothing wrong with that. And all the ir irresponsible people are like, yeah, vacation. Hello, you need to go on vacation. How about you need a house when you come back from vacation? And so even now, we're talking about buying a house, and she's like, but I want to go on vacation every year. And I'm like, we might not go on vacation on every year. And she's like, no, but I, but I want to go on vacation. I'm like, yeah, baby, but we got to save up for buying a house, so we can't spend $3,000 on vacation when we're trying to save up to buy a house because we want to put a down payment on the house. And she's like, fine. 
but I want a vacation every single year. And I'm like, I thought we were going to talk about how much to save, and I thought, but we can't get past the fact that she wants a vacation, and we need to buy a house. Someone shout misplaced priorities. <laughs> and I just think that there's some serious consequences. It's not too much of a serious consequence here, but I think that sometimes there's some more serious consequences when it comes to misplaced priorities. There's nothing wrong with eating noodles. There's nothing wrong with wanting a vacation. There's nothing wrong with going on vacation. There's nothing wrong with taking a picture. But I think at the expense of the priority, it becomes damaging. I think that when you're taking a picture and there's a life in danger, it becomes damaging. I think that when you are eating your noodles on your lunch, it becomes damaging because there's a house on fire. And I think when you're arguing about whose turn it is to serve, you're endangering your life because there's a 265-pound man who wants his latte. Here's what I want to tell you today. Jesus had priorities. Jesus didn't walk around aimlessly. Jesus had a focus. Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. And here's what Jesus didn't do. It, it isn't that he didn't come to reach everybody. It, he did come to reach everybody. But he came to reach those that recognize they need him. He is a friend of sinners. And this is why the Bible says it this way. The Pharisees were indignant. Why does your teacher associate with men like that? Because people who are well don't need a doctor. It's the sick people who do. Then he added, now go away and learn the meaning of this verse. For I have come to urge sinners, not the self-righteous, back to God. Another translation puts it this way. I'm here to invite the outsider and not coddle the insider. I don't know about you, maybe not at Christ Uncensored House of Worship, but I've been to churches where their primary focus is ensuring that the insider is coddled. And I don't know, but maybe we've just gotten a little bit wrong. Maybe we've lost our focus. Maybe our focus has become blurred because I think that the church stops being effective the moment it starts coddling insiders when Jesus' main focus was to invite the outsider. And Jesus is saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm, now that you've encountered me, I'm here to be the friend of sinners. The apostle Paul says it like this in Timothy. He says, I, it says, how true it is. And how, watch this, how I long that everyone should know that Christ Jesus came into the world. He says, this is what I long for you to know. I long for you to know this, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And I was the greatest of them all. Did you see that? Did you see that he just, he is the one that wrote 75% of the New Testament. Here he is, an apostle. That means he's a, he's a pastor of pastors. He's planting churches all over, the, all over the area. He's planting churches everywhere. He went on three mission trips just planting churches. And here he is, he's saying, listen, I just want you to get this focus. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners 
whom I am the worst. In other words, I never get tired of understanding what God has done in my life. And I think that brings me good news because when I understand that God is a friend of sinners, I see it this way. It's good news because if you have sin in your life, it means you're God's priority. If you've fallen short and made a mistake, it means you're God's priority. If you've missed the mark, it means you're God's priority. If you've cheated, if you've fallen in sin, it means that you are God's priority. Have you doubted this week? Have you fallen in temptation this week? I want to declare to you this afternoon that you are God's priority. Is anybody grateful here that Jesus says, I'm a friend of sinners? He says it's not the well who need a doctor, it's, it's sick people who do. And so in our case study today, it's a, it's a sinner. But it's a woman who's sick. The Bible says, In Mark chapter 5, there was a woman who had suffered terribly from a severe bleeding for 12 years, even though she had been treated by many doctors. She had spent all her money, but instead of getting better, she got worse all the time. And she had heard about Jesus, and she came into the crowd behind him saying to herself, if I just touch his clothes... The Bible doesn't speak too much about this woman, but it does say that she was sick for 12 years. The Bible says that she had a blood issue. She was hemorrhaging from the inside out. She had an internal problem that was costing her on the outside. And I think many times we think that just because it's happening on the inside, it will not affect on the outside. But I'm telling you right now, you may only be fooling yourself because what you are struggling with on the inside will always have effects on the outside. You might think you could hide it. You might think you could hold it in. But if there's one area in your life that is suffocating from the inside, it's only a matter of time where it starts affecting you on the external. You may not be paying money going to doctor for doctor, but just because you're not paying money going to doctor for doctor, it doesn't mean that it's not costing you something. The Bible says for 12 years she was going from doctor to doctor a doctor and as long as she was able to bring in the cash the doctor would just prescribe her medicine and the doctor would just give her some 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 painkillers or some things to deal with the issue and 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 this is what happened to me when I went to uh, uh, I was diagnosed I went to the emergency room because I woke up one morning and the whole house was spinning and I was like I'm not dancing and I wasn't doing the kiki dance and so I didn't know what was going on, and, and I went to the emergency room, and so I was going to the doctor, and the first thing the doctor says is he diagnoses me, does a couple of tests, and he says, you have vertigo, and I said, okay, so how do we cure vertigo? He goes, no, we don't have a cure, but here's a prescription. All you got to do is keep bringing it to the pharmacy, and they'll keep filling it up, and as long as you can pay them, they're going to continue to fill them up, and I said, Lord, I don't believe that I'm called to walk around with vertigo. I don't believe that you've called me to this and the doctors are prescribing me medicine, but I know a healer. I said, I know a healer. And so I I fell asleep in the emergency and the moment I woke up in the emergency room, the Holy Spirit said, this happened so that my glory will be manifested in your life. You needed to go through this problem so that you can declare with power 
You can go to doctors and they can give you medicine. But when you go to Jesus, he will give you a cure. Is anybody grateful for the one that is the doctor of all doctors? He doesn't just prescribe a medicine. Yesterday I woke up and I started getting the symptoms and I said, not today, devil. Not, not today. I am healed by the blood of Jesus. I refuse to take any medication. I refuse to go see another doctor because Jesus has healed me. So the Bible says that this woman was being prescribed medicine. As long as she gave the money, she was cool. But it, the Bible also says that she went from bad to worse. Have you ever been there? That you thought a relationship was going to make you better? And it only went from bad to worse. See, because so many times we're not going to doctors, but we're going somewhere. For the last 12 years, we may, not, we may not be going to the doctor, we may not be going to the ER, but we're going somewhere. Maybe you think it's, it's your workplace that you're going to go, and, and maybe you think it's another zero in your bank account. We're going somewhere because we think that that's what's going to heal us. We think that that's what's going to cure us. And for now, now we're here, and now what happens, we're worse off than when we started. To make things worse, this woman didn't only have a dilemma, the dilemma had her because now in society, the Bible says, according to ancient Jewish law, the Mosaic law, the Bible says this woman was supposed to be considered an outcast because she was unclean. I actually wanted to outline this for you, so I brought it up in Leviticus. And you're like, Pastor's reading from Leviticus? Yes, I'm reading from Leviticus. Check this out. When a woman has some, something flowing from her body, and, and I try to use the most G version of this, because I can't even have my kids listen to this right here. It's too many questions will come up. When a woman has something flowing from her body, and if it is blood, she will be unclean for seven days. Whoever touches her will be unclean until evening. Everything she lies on will... While she's unclean, will be unclean, and everything she sits on will be unclean. And whoever touches her bed must wash his clothes and wash himself in water and be unclean until evening. Whoever touches anything she sits on must wash his clothes and wash himself in water and be unclean until evening. If she touches anything on her bed or where she sat, he will be unclean until evening. And if a man lies with her so that her blood is on him, that's gross, he will be unclean. For seven days, and every bench he lies on will be unclean. And if a woman has a flow of blood for many days at a different time, when it happens each, when it happens each month, or if the blood flows longer, longer at that time, all the days the blood flows, she will be unclean. And it will be as if it were the time when she is unclean each month. She will be unclean. Did I gross anybody out? She will be unclean. This woman had a perpetual bleeding problem, and she was deemed unclean, not for seven days, not for seven years, for 12 years. You know what that means? That means if she was a mother, she had to walk away from her children. It means that if she was married, she had to walk away from her husband. She couldn't be with her husband. It means that if she wanted to go to the church to worship God, she was not deemed fit to go to the temple, the only place that she can maybe find healing from God. 
She couldn't even go to the temple. She was completely outcasted. She was seen as worse than a second-class citizen. She was seen as unclean, filthy, impure, unworthy. If something bad happened to her, people would look at her not with sympathy or empathy. They would look at her with with judgment, that's right, you deserve that because you're unclean. And you're unclean because you have a sickness. And your sickness is because of your sin. And there was no pity for this woman. But look at this good news. This, this, this rocked my world Wednesday when I was working on this message. And I, this rocked my world. I said, my God. Look, look. It says, but she heard about Jesus. Mm. She heard about Jesus, watch this, she heard about Jesus, so she came in the crowd behind him, saying to herself, if I just touch his cloak, I will get well. Now, I want you to catch this, because if you're not, man, I'm telling you right now, I've, I've read this passage over and over, and I didn't catch this until I, I read this on Wednesday, and I said, Holy Spirit, what in the world did she hear? Because what she heard must have been so good that it was worth, it was worth risking being ridiculed. What she heard must have been so good that it had to combat every single negative thought, every single negative word that was spoken over her life, every declaration of shame that was emphasized in her life. What she heard must have been so good that she said, man, maybe if I can touch the hem of his garment. And I ask Holy Spirit, oh Lord, what is it that she heard? And I, I promise you, Kual, I want to tell you what the Holy Spirit told me. He said, what she heard 2,000 years ago is the same thing that the sinners of today in our church of today needs to hear today. She had to hear the rumors of the goodness of God. And I could imagine, man, did you hear about Jesus? Like the rumors were spreading. You know, you want something to spread, you tell the gossipers. And so... Jesus was strategic. And so, did you hear about Jesus? Like, yo, yo, this guy's like, he's eating with sinners and he's eating with the unworthy and he, he's just going around healing them and they don't deserve to be healed. And what is this? Like, Jesus is just having dinner parties. And, 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 I, and I just started thinking, man, what did she hear? What did she hear? Because I know that if something, if someone told me the sky was, was brown, all my life I've been hearing that the sky is blue. And all for 12 years she's been telling her, she's been told that she's unworthy, she's filthy, she's unclean, she's undeserving. But what she heard about Jesus must have been something she never heard a Pharisee say. Must have been something she never heard a disciple say. Not, not something she never ever heard said in the synagogue. It must have been so good. And I wonder if what she heard, maybe she heard something like, oh my God, he's a friend of sinners. Did you hear about Jesus? He's a friend of sinners. Oh, did you hear about Jesus? He loves sinners unconditionally. Maybe she heard that it's his goodness that leads men into repentance. Maybe she heard that he chose 12 unqualified disciples. Maybe she heard that he didn't come to be served, but to serve the world. Maybe she heard that he forgave a prostitute, that he acquitted an adulterous woman, and that he quenched the thirst of a Samaritan woman at the well. Maybe she heard that our God is a friend of sinners. And I want to give you this important note today, and it's this, Jesus values people over principles. Now here's what I'm not saying, because I know, you know, I'm learning right now 
the seven magic words of communication. And, and one of the things that they emphasize in the book is that effective communicators don't focus on how, so much on how they're communicating, but they actually focus on what the other person's hearing. That's so good right there. I gave you that for free, not in my notes. It's not in my notes. So I, I, I want to make sure that you hear the right thing today. This is what the Bible is not teaching. The Bible is not teaching that principles are not important. It just means that Jesus values people over principles. He doesn't value principles over people. Because what Jesus, what should have taken place is the principle. Because the law, Jesus cares more about relationship than he does rules, regulations, and rituals. That's why he says, it's not the sacrifices are not important. He goes, I just prefer mercy over sacrifice. See, you're still trying to follow the principle without focusing on people. And so this is why he says the Sabbath day was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. What is he saying? He's saying principles were made for people, not people made for principles. I could save a couple of marriages and relationships right now because many of us has focused, many of us in relationships have focused on the standard and have destroyed the person. But I had to learn the hard way that as long as I was lifting up the standard and belittling the person, then I was going to end up, ¿sabes qué? Without the person. But when you're in a relationship, when you're, now if you're single, single folk, bring up that standard all the way up. This is your chance. Because after you're married, ¿sabes qué? Standard. Because I, I have to destroy the standard because I'm focused on the person. See, principles were made for people, not people made for principle. And so this is what our Savior does. He will always choose relationship over regulations and rituals. Can anybody give God some praise in this house for that? I don't know whose towel is this, but don't use it after today. The Bible says that this woman says, if I can only grab the hem of his garment. The principle was that she was unclean. Therefore, she could not come close to the clean, let alone a rabbi. But the person and the relationship says that even when you touch the clean, the clean is so clean that it makes the unclean clean. See, the rule says that you're unworthy, but relationship says, I won't lift up the standard. I will lower myself to your position so that you can one day meet the standard. God cares more about relationship than he does perfection. So the Bible says that this woman was going to touch the hem of his garment. Now, we read this and we don't really have the full understanding because the Bible is not explicit about it. But when you study upon further investigation, you will understand what actually is taking place. It says he, she went and she grabbed his clothes, but it's actually the hem of his garment, which is considered 
the, ta, the talit. Everybody shout talit. And so this is a small version of the talit. Sheila's going to be upset that I'm putting this wrong. And this was worn. This is a smaller version. This is more like a scarf version. They were long. They were long. And in every talit, there was these tassels. And so when Jesus is walking, he's walking around with these tassels. And the woman says, I want, I'm going to go and if I can just grab a tassel. Whew, this is powerful. It's going to change your life. If I can just grab a tassel, if I can just grab a, a, a tassel, now, I don't even need to hold on to Jesus. I, I just need to grab a tassel. Now, the tassels were actually a representation of the law. Each talid had 613 tassels, so 613 knots. 365 thou shalt not, and 248, if I'm not mistaken, 248 thou shalt. And so every time... A rabbi wore the talit. It was a reminder of the law that needed to be fulfilled. And so it's, it's almost like you're walking around with a big Bible around your neck. Like, like this. Like, like a Jesus piece. And it spins. You're walking around with a huge Bible around your neck. And I don't know about it. If you're walk, walking around with a huge Bible around your neck, you're, like, you're constantly conscious like... Oh, I can't look at that person like that. Oh, I can't walk in there like that. You know what I'm talking about. It was just like, oh, no, I can't. I feel, no. And so the tali was actually a constant reminder of a law that couldn't be fulfilled. 613. And so the Pharisees were, for, were known for wearing the prayer shawls. They were known for wearing the tali. And there were 613 knots. And here's what the Holy Spirit showed me, that this woman said, I'm going to grab onto the talit. But if she would have grabbed it on any, anybody else's garment, it would have been an incomplete law. A law that could never be fulfilled. But the one that was wearing the talit today <laughs> was the one and the only one that could have complete the law. And so what she held onto, what she grabbed was a representation of the law being carried by the one who fulfilled the law. And, and I don't know about you, but the Holy Spirit told me this. Don't worry so much about fulfilling the law as you are holding on to the one that has fulfilled it. And I, and, and I just see this woman saying, listen, I just need to hold that hem of, of, of his garment, not understanding that the hem of his garment was jam-packed with the fulfillment of the law himself. And I want to hold on not to my own righteousness. I want to hold on to God's righteousness. I want to hold on to his fulfillment. I want to hold on to his joy because my joy wears out. But if I can hold on to Jesus, my God, I said, if I can hold on to Jesus, if I can hold on to his goodness, if I can hold on to his peace, I will receive my healing. What became the talit, the law became a, a backbreaker for the people of Israel because they could not complete it. But the one who completed it, became a blessing giver because he says, now that I've completed the entire law, 
all you have to do is hold on to my complete and finished work. If you believe that in this praise, give God some praise. Jesus values, write this down, care over correction. Care over correction. Now, here's what Pastor Rowe is not saying. <laughs> correction is not important. That is what I'm not saying. Jesus values correction. But I think many times the church historically, especially lately, has got it wrong where we've where we've exalted correction over care. And the church cares more about correcting people than the people they are correcting. And so then correction becomes about correction, and correction never becomes about caring. See, what Jesus should have said, it's like, who touched me? Oh, ooh, I'm telling Abba. That's what he should have said. Oh, you touched me now. You broke the rule. Let me correct you on what you should be doing. What you should be doing is that you should have stood outcast. You should have never come near me. And Jesus is in a dilemma essentially because Jesus is clean and Jesus is a rabbi. And now he's being touched. Now, now remember, if a woman that has a hemorrhage touches anything, that what she touches becomes unclean. And so now Jesus needs to follow the rules and go get unclean and be clean until the rest of the evening. But Jesus doesn't correct her. He cares for her. And I, and I, and I think about this because many times I, the church has become so accustomed to correcting people. We've become sin seekers. Looking for the sin in people rather than caretakers. And, and I just think that, I don't know about you, but I just think that people will be more receptive if they get the sense that you care about them. You just want to come and correct me without caring for me. I just think it's going to be ineffective. And Jesus understands that I, I value correction. I value a car. I value a house. But I value my children over the house and over the car. As a matter of fact, the house and the car are because of how much I care for my children. Jesus values correction, but don't think that you become an awesome corrector without ever having to care for people. And Jesus, oh my God, he should have corrected her, but he cared for her. Let the Holy Spirit does, let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. You, the church has become so good at trying to convict people. I had a pastor sit me down one time and he said, you preached a message that didn't correct people's actions. And I said, my friend, am I the convictor or is the Holy Spirit the one entrusted with convicting people of sin, of their righteousness, and of judgment? It's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is simply to present, to communicate the gospel, and God does the rest. I'm not here to correct everybody. I do correct those that I care for, but I let the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something, church? I want you to know and broadcast this to the world that God is gooder than your badness. I said gooder. But if we can accept, oh, as a word, gooder is a word. That's cool how. 
So bring your filth, God is gooder. Bring your dirt, God is gooder. Bring your, your, your sin, God is bigger than your sin. The Bible says that where grace abound, where sin abound, grace much more abound. I don't understand that. That, that. We think that grace just beats sin by like, 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 like an inch. But grace runs laps around sin. Like you can't even compare with the amount of grace. Oh, you sinned yesterday? You sinned today? Well, where sin abound, grace much more abound. Is anybody grateful for that grace in this place? Here's how he responds. He turns around and he says, who touched me? But interesting enough, he calls her daughter. I, I don't even need the notes for this one. I, I just got to read one scripture. Put Matthew chapter 5. I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. He turns around. Hear me. He turns around. Now, now, now I read this scripture over and over. And, I, and, and this Wednesday, I read it like 10 times. And I said, Lord, how is it? That you didn't know who touched you. You didn't know who touched you. But at the same time, you knew people's thoughts. Because the Bible says that when he was at Simon's house, he responded to Simon's thoughts. So Simon was thinking it, and Jesus was like, hey, let me tell you something. He's like, get out of my head. Jesus does everything with intention. And Jesus not only does everything with intention, he does everything with maximizing the opportunity. See, what I didn't tell you was that there was thousands of people following Jesus. Now, why were there thousands of people, catch this, why were there thousands of people following Jesus? Watch this. Matthew chapter 5, Mark chapter 5. Before that, there we go. Look, 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 look. The leader of the synagogue, whose name was Jairus, the leader of who? The leader of who? The, the leader of the church. The leader of the church at that time had a daughter who was sick, whose name was Jairus, came and fell down before him, pleading with him, heal, heal his little daughter. She is at this point, she's at the point of death. He said in desperation, please come. And place your hands on her and make her live. Jesus went with him and the crowd thronged behind him. In the crowd was a woman. Oh, hold on a second. So this man comes, he says, please heal my daughter, please. How many, how many would agree that we have sympathy for those we think deserve healing? Because we think that people are innocent. And so we see devastating news, and the moment we see someone that we perceive as innocent, we say, oh my God, why did it happen to them? But when we see something happen to a bad person, we're like, he deserved it. He had it coming to him, right? That's what we do. That's right, that's right. Good, good for him. Good for them. That's right. Instant karma. Right? Now, I want you to saturate your minds with this context. That everyone that's following Jesus, 
everyone that is following Jesus is walking around hoping that this leader of the synagogue's daughter will be healed because he deserves it. He deserves it. He, he's, been, he's been working at the church. He's been serving. He's been day in and day in out, and he comes before Jesus. He's like, please, my little daughter. Guess how old his, his daughter was? 12 years old. Guess, 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 how much, guess how long his sickness was? 12 years old. That means when her sickness started, his daughter was born. Catch this. The entire crowd is behind Jesus. We can't wait for you to heal his, her, his little girl. His, he deserves it. He's been working in the temple. He's been serving. You got to heal this girl. You got to heal this girl. Come on, Jesus. Thousands of people are walking behind Jesus to see a daughter that deserves healing. Now we are in the context. Jesus is walking and he is touched by another daughter that has been abandoned, that has been ostracized, that touches him. And he says, who touched me? Now, now, if someone touches you, you're not going to ask, who he wants to make a scene. See, we think that it's he didn't know who touched him. I dare say that Jesus knew who exactly touched him, but he just wanted to make a scene. I, that's why I think he was Hispanic. Pero quien me tocó? Who touched me? And then you see Peter. Peter like, what? what are, you, are you crazy? What do you mean who touched you? Everyone is touching you. No, 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 no. Everybody's not just touching me. There's someone that pulled, there's someone that's touching me with their faith. Who touched me? Who, who He's getting a little louder. You know that person that sits next to you at the store and they try to engage in conversation, they talk loud. They go like this to you, they go, yeah, you know what I mean? Right? They'd be like, I don't want to talk to you right now. That's Jesus. Jesus is like, who touched me? You guys hear me? touched me everybody's touching you no 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 and then this woman comes and says sorry it was me it was me now now watch this Jesus never in all of scripture calls anybody daughter he didn't call the prostitute a daughter he didn't call the Samaritan woman a daughter he didn't call Mary and Martha a daughter this is the only woman in scripture, in all of the New Testament, I went and I searched. I went through every single book of the Bible this Wednesday, and I said, Lord, show me, because he, why did he call her daughter? Why did he call her daughter? Because he wanted everybody in the crowd to know that just as worthy as Jairus' daughter is to receive her healing, so is his daughter. Because his daughter is the picture of the church. And he was saying, listen, this is the outcast. This is the unworthy. You might call her a sinner, but the reason I'm a friend of sinners is because sinners are my sons and daughters. You see, Jairus, Jairus, your daughter deserves healing. But my daughter deserves healing too. Just because you've been in the temple all your life, just because you've been serving, doesn't make you more worthy. It's not the well who need a doctor. It's the sick that need the doctor. And by 
by calling her doctor, by calling her daughter, he claims her as his own. Inside the word daughter is wrapped in that word, in those letters are wrapped your mind. Your mind. Your, your mind. You don't understand the psychological damage it does to the human mind to be disowned. You don't understand the psyche of a person that feels alone and disowned. What it does to the human experience to feel like no one is there for you. Psychologically, it can ruin you. And this woman was alone for 12 years. And he says, I claim you as my own. You're my daughter. Could you imagine this woman? She was terrified. She was like, I just touched a rabbi. I shouldn't have touched him. He's calling me. He's calling me his daughter. He goes, you're mine. You're mine. Others rejected you, but you're mine. You may have been sick, but you're mine. You may have been a failure, but you're mine. You may have dropped the ball, but you're mine. You may not be perfect, but you're mine. mind. You're mine with your sickness. You're mine with your shortcomings. You're mine with your failures. You're mine with your imperfections. You're mine. I don't know where you are today. But God's love for you is reckless. God's love for you is reckless. And many times, we don't even understand what that means. But recklessness simply means this, without regard of consequence. God acted in such a way that whether you believed in him or not, he chose to love you. And that's why he can say, you're mine. Because your past can't have you, your sickness can't have you, your failures can't have you, your haters can't have you, your, your faults can't have you. You are mine because my reckless love, because of my reckless love. I'm going to ask you to get up on your feet today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.